Opinions voiced in this program are for general information only and are not intended to provide specific advice or recommendations for any individual. To determine which investments may be appropriate for you, consult with your attorney, accountant, and financial advisor or tax advisor prior to investing. Securities are offered through LPL Financial, member FINRA, SIPC. Good morning and welcome to Beyond the Business on News Radio 94.3 WSC. Each Saturday morning at 9 o'clock, successful business leaders and entrepreneurs from across the low country talk about what it takes to succeed in business and in life now your hosts of beyond the business eric cox and leslie haywood and great saturday morning low country welcome to another edition of beyond the business heard here every saturday morning at our new time now nine o'clock so nine welcome o'clock, yes i think you know this is definitely a little better you guys sleep in yes i know because friday nights they can be fun it's wonderful right yeah i know so we're going back to our old time which is our new time nine o'clock here on <laughs> 94.3 wsc if you're listening to us by radio and of course if you're listening to it by podcast who knows what time it is. Exactly. We're just glad that you're listening to us. Thank you. Welcome to another edition of Beyond the Business. Again, great stories of entrepreneurship and leadership from around the low country. We're rocking on our fifth year, believe it or not. Yes, telling uh, telling people, uh, people you know, stories you don't. And of course, as always, we'll have another great story here today. But before we do, uh, Leslie, well, you weren't here the last couple of weeks. You were uh, gallivanting down in Costa Rica. Yes, that was so fun. And our third wheel, Byron Stahl, is gallivanting right now down in New Zealand. You can't keep anybody I'm getting in the wrong chair. end of all of this deal evidently because i can't leave the studio right in charleston so. what are you doing wrong why would you leave charleston when it's charleston it's beautiful right i know so, i know because it's, it's costa exciting. rica it's costa rica <laughs> well, we're glad to have you back if you missed our show last couple of weeks we had a great one of course mr bratton riley and if you happen to know that name he's also uh, the son of former mayor joe riley but bratton is the co-founder and ceo of CityBot here in charleston another great story of entrepreneurship uh, if you missed it, shame on you, but you get a second chance. Simply go to our website at CoastalWM.com, click on the radio icon, and you can listen to Bratton's last couple of shows. And Leslie, I was going to ask you for a takeaway, because nope. I know when you were in Costa Rica, you had us on oh, listening. God. Right. I could have, right? Mm-hmm. You oh. want me to do it instead? Yeah. Okay. Go ahead. So, uh, as you know, I love my quotes, and Byron's <laughs> been stealing my quotes lately. Um, a couple of quotes, or at least one in particular, uh, that I really liked, uh, Bratton mentioned uh, never go into a meeting by yourself that by having somebody else with you, a colleague, you never know what they're going to pick up, whether it's something verbal or body language that you don't observe. And it can be valuable information to share as you go forward. So I loved that little nugget. Yeah. And just also the fact of you want a great story of bootstrapping a business and not really experiencing dilution through investors. Go check out that podcast again at uh, CoastalWM.com. Click on the radio icon and listen to Bratton's story. A great one indeed. And a few nuggets there on his father, again, former mayor here in Charleston for, gosh, I think it was, I don't know how many years. What was that? Forever. 25, 30 years. So great story for him sharing. And uh, as usual, we're going to turn the dial to a new story. Yes, yes, yes. Oh, and one other thing. If people want to follow us beyond Saturday mornings, make sure and go to our Facebook page at Beyond the Business and also follow us on Twitter at BTBCHS. So we're excited. We've got a whole entourage here today, but uh, we're excited to have Dr. Troy Hall in the studio. So first of all, Dr. Troy, welcome and thanks for joining us. Well, thank you. I'm glad to be here. And it's good to know that we have a rose between two thorns. <laughs> There's no doubt about it. She's the one who sparkles around here. And uh, Dr. Troy, you're the chief strategy strategy officer for South Carolina Federal. 
But you also have your hands in lots of pots that we're going to talk about and lots going on that's exciting. So if you don't mind, before we dive into our show, just give our listeners a quick 20-second nugget on who you are and what role you serve. Well, I always like to start personal because for me, it's all about being relational. So uh, my story goes back where I married my high school my high school sweetheart in 1977. We have two children, five grandchildren, and we live in our forever island spot on Daniel Island. We call it the hallway, and there's a story behind that. Oh, I I'm can't sure wait. we will get to it. Absolutely. Absolutely. I so, can't wait. I can't wait. Why not dive in? I know. Let's dive in. So, yeah, let's go way back. We, uh, we like to start in the very beginning. Where did you grow up, and what was family life like as a child? Well, I grew up in a very small, abandoned coal mining town in West Virginia called Mount Clare. So, jokingly, I tell folks that there are about 250 people there. Of course, the population is greater than that, but there's a reason for that 250 in the story. And um, so it was just really uh, very much uh, growing up. My parents, my mom uh, graduated high school. My dad had an eighth grade education and was in the military. And so for us, we all lived pretty much in a great little community space. My uncle lived two doors up from me, and my grandparents lived about four doors up. So that was our little community growing up. It sounds like the essence of family was important in the family growing up. Yeah, it it really was important. And so there were some particular activities that really shaped, uh, you know, me as an individual through my relationship with my parents. My, My mom was the nurturer, and my dad was the provider and the protector. And so they understood those roles. And so a lot of who I am today is a result of my relationship with them. And as a youngster, uh, give us a little insight on scholastically. Were you a a great student involved in sports? What was your thing in in the younger school area? Well, for me, I found the library before I found the any of the sports fields. So really for me, my athletic activities became much more as an adult than they did when I was a child. Some of it is because of where we lived. It was a rural location and we were a 45 minutes to an hour bust to the actual school. And when you have family situation like we do, there wasn't that opportunity to get in the car and go. Like I find it amazing today that people will wait in line to drop their children off at school and all of the drama that goes around all of that. There was none of that. If you didn't catch the bus, you didn't get to school. There was no after school activity unless you could ride with someone who would actually bring you home. It's exactly why I try to avoid that every day. <laughs> the car rider yes. line. Oh, my yeah. God. You know that one, right, Leslie? Yes, I do. Got to get in the car rider. So are you an only child? Well, I am uh, one of three. Mm-hmm. So my sister was, uh, was, and I say was because she's passed away. So my sister was nine years older and my brother is three years younger. And so Middle I, child. Yes, and I have an unusual situation. My my sister uh, ran away from home when she was 16, and so she was gone for a long number of years before coming back into the family. So I'm not only in the middle child, but I'm also the oldest child to some degree because my parents relied on me to uh, support what we were doing. And so as a lot of youngsters do, they're dreaming of the future, dreaming of what they're going to be when they grow up. What was on your radar at that stage of life? Well, interestingly enough, we used to play, my brother and I used to play this game where we were, um, we were radio hosts. And so we had, <laughs> oh, wow. it, it, was, okay. it, it was, we, we, we make dreams this come true here. <laughs> it's good to That's know. That's what we do. Yes. And so we, uh, recorded ourselves on this old recording 
device and would play it back. And we even did like news, like we thumped. So we did the little, and we did that with the microphone so that it would have like the sound before the newscaster would go live. And so we would play and do that. That was some of our activity. And then my very first job was writing for a newspaper and it was for my brother and my newspaper. And so we were small and we would go around and we would try to sell the little newspaper and my mom would help us get articles from the Reader's Digest or some other place that we saw some things. And we wrote some of our own little stories and poetry and we put them in and everything had to be typed on the typewriter. So we could only put two or three copies together on the typewriter to type them out. And then you had to save the carbon paper for the next time. And then you went around the neighborhood and we sold our own newspaper around the neighborhood. So oh my gosh! So it sounds like media in general. That, yeah, that so, was, you were so, leaning towards that. Now, yeah. what about when you were thinking about college? Well, was be, that a thought in your head? I, I, I think it was. Um, I always wanted to um, to consider. My mom and dad had always encouraged me to think beyond where I currently. Uh, was residing or where I currently am. And I think that has a lot to do with it. And it certainly works well with the theme of the show, which is beyond the business. So it's, you know, beyond your life. Uh, for me, the, the biggest thing that really shaped my life is what happened when I was 12 years old. And that is a time when my mom was diagnosed with cancer. And living in a very small town where your parents have limited education, you have a small, homogenous group of individuals who think alike and sometimes do not always have their thoughts about the uh, technology and the education that we have today. So we're really blessed today in so many ways. But going back 45 years or so during that time, uh, what we saw in cancer research today was nothing like that then. It was radical surgery. It was totally removing everything. So... As a 12-year-old, and by that time, my sister was gone, so I was now in charge of the family. My job was to take care of my mom when she came back from surgery for the time that that we thought she would still stay alive because the whole idea was that she was going to die. That was the whole idea. I mean, that was the whole thought process. And so I spent time at her bedside. I was responsible for uh, making sure that my mom and dad were uh, taking care of my dad specifically, got up in the morning with him, made his breakfast, uh, made sure that his lunch was packed, got him off to work uh, because that was his role. And he didn't do any of these things because, remember, we're talking 45, 50 years ago. The traditional family was that mom took care of those items because that was the role she chose and that's what she wanted to do. And my dad took care of the other role. And so someone had to help him do his piece. He was ill-equipped to do it. And for months before this happened, my mom and dad were preparing me. I got to write my first check. My first check was to a grocery store. And I got to help make the grocery list. I got to help my mom pay the bills. I got to see how she recorded things in the checkbook, how she took care of all those items. Because for the most part, my mom thought that I would be taking care of everything, that she would be gone. And that is pretty much the story. So, um, But the good news to the story is, although she's and, – and I, I say this, at her bedside, she poured in about every bar, part of wisdom that she thought that she need, that I needed to have. And so I am blessed today with mom wisdom and wife wisdom since I've been married for 42 <laughs> years. And uh, so that's, uh, you know, pretty much the beginning of the story and how that how that went. But the good news is mom lived for 40 some years after that surgery. 
and had an opportunity to uh, at the near the conclusion of their lives, mom and dad came and lived with us, and that's how we became the hallway. <sighs> Full circle, right? Full circle. So as you uh, moved on from the household and life and proceeded in vocation or education or profession, tell us a little bit how that path unwound for you. Well, I started out um, getting my degree in stages, basically. So I have an undergraduate degree in business management with a minor emphasis in marketing. And um, really through that time, I like to tell this story. I'm a simple man of faith, and so I have a, a, a a story where I say God tricked me into my higher educational degree. And it started with my daughter who had said, dad, wouldn't it be really sweet if we got our MBAs together and then we could walk across the stage and we could then, you know, have pictures. It'd be great. And I'm a romantic at heart. So I was like, Oh wow, that'd be really sweet. So we do that. So we get started on that particular journey. And, uh, two and a half years later, I have finished with my MBA. Um, she has met the love of her life and is now pregnant. So that didn't finish for her, the story, but it did for me. And immediately I felt, um, I really just felt a calling that I would, uh, pursue my, PhD. And so my PhD is in global leadership and entrepreneurship. And hence, that's why people refer to me as Dr. Hall. It's just sort of a, it's just a fun little name that, that, uh, that people say. One of my friends asked me one time, he said, uh, he says, Troy, are you going to make all of your employees call you Dr. Hall? And I said, absolutely not. They're going to call me Mr. Dr. Sir. <laughs> So at this point, when you're during your younger years, though, what did you think you were going to do after college? What was your goal? Um, I actually thought I was going to uh, go do theater. Theater. I did a lot. Yeah, I did a lot of theater when I was growing up. And uh, but I really decided that the bottom line in life was this. I wanted a relationship. I'm a relational guy. And so when I met Vicky, it was just all like for that. And so it was it was having the children and having the wife and having that family was my stage. And I didn't really have to have the Broadway and all the lights and all to do that. And I always felt that there would be some way that I would take any of the experiences I have in life and be able to roll them into something else. Like I never thought I was cheating myself out of my creativity because I wasn't on stage. I just applied the creativity differently. So I applied it to the family and I knew I, and I love marketing because marketing is about relating products and services to other people. And so I just thought, well, that's really a cool thing. So I pursued the marketing and then I had the opportunity for, uh, for business and found my way in the financial services industry. And then, uh, later, um, for the last 25 years, I've been involved in the financial cooperative movement at South Carolina Federal Credit Union. And it's a really an awesome job for me. I love it because it's all about people helping people. It's about helping to improve the financial conditions of people's lives. It's like, what a great thing to do. And so you get to take all the things that you have and you get to make them real and you get to make them a part of what you do every day. It's something I call the unrecognizable truth. And that's the part of me that no one knows until you ask the questions. And that's where the relationship is. Like you didn't know before we talked about my experiences with my mom and 12 years old and how all that went. That's, and you would never know that. You wouldn't walk up to me and say, Oh, did your mom have cancer? Right. I mean, you wouldn't say that. Right. But it's the unrecognizable truth that shapes the individual. It's those experiences in life that make you who you are. And then if you really can focus those uh, objectives where you can create them in a way that they're transformative, those experiences and thoughts are transformative so that they benefit someone else, there's always a 
great value that comes with that. So in case you just joined us, first of all, shame on you. And if you're wondering whose voice and wisdom that's being shared, that's that of Mr. Dr. Troy Hall, who's the Chief Strategy Officer for South Carolina Federal, uh, which we're going to talk a little bit about because you wouldn't think traditionally the Chief Strategy Officer for a bank or financial institution is having these kinds of conversations. What makes mm-hmm. this story so neat? But before we get there, let's go back a little bit to some of those early experiences. You talked about coming out of school, getting your degrees, and then you pursued some careers in financial uh, management or, or financial realm. Talk about some of those early opportunities you had and what that felt like. So um, I first started as a part-time teller in a financial institution in Pittsburgh, Pennsylvania. And my when Vicki and I first got married, she had family in Pittsburgh, and we knew that this small town was really not where I was destined. So we went to Pittsburgh, and we started there until we uh, started our family, and then we moved to Columbus, Ohio, where uh, my wife's family uh, was was now residing so that we could sort of make sure we had that family nucleus and unit. So that opportunity for getting into the financial services industry started right there from a part-time teller. And then I advanced into the retail and advanced in various positions throughout, um, was involved in, in training. I was part of a conversion team. At that particular time, um, we were purchasing uh, financial institutions on the East Coast. So we were over in Philadelphia, and I was part of a conversion team that went over to do that. At another point in time, I had an opportunity to run my own marketing and advertising company, and that's how I became acquainted with credit unions. One of my clients was a credit union in Columbus, a really good friend of mine that I'd met through through my other uh, experiences. And then one thing led to another, and I traveled so much in that business that I just needed to stay home and worked it out to uh, to work as um, their senior vice president of their um, retail group and marketing at the credit union in Columbus, Ohio, and then transitioned here to South Carolina to work for South Carolina Federal Credit Union, which is a financial cooperative. Now, it sounds like as uh, as being relatively young, you were put in some leadership roles. Um, what did you learn back then as a new leader? Maybe some information you can give our aspiring entrepreneurs about some of those mistakes that you maybe made along the way as far as taking the helm and leading um, a team. Well, I think the first thing is to understand that you, um, first of all, I have a little mantra that I say is that you don't have to know everything. You just need to be teachable. And my mom taught me to say to and to understand that you don't have to be a know-it-all, but can you be a learn-it-all? And then also about how you interact with people. A lot of my stories with my mom were all about her helping me take care of other people and how I should really position myself in that way. One of the stories that she would tell me over and over again, she would say, she would say, Troy, now on your way up the ladder, just remember that you're going to see those people on your way back down. And then she modified and she says, Troy, if when you step on people on your way up the ladder, you'll see them on your way back down. So when you step on people on your way up the ladder, you'll see them on your way back down. And I said to her, Mom, I am not going to step on anyone on my way up the ladder. She said, great. Now to the next lesson. That's what I had for my life. Good to have lessons like that. Absolutely. Early on in life, Absolutely. for sure. So um, talk a little bit about the evolution, sort of how you, you migrated south. Well, it was about retirement. 
And so we decided, you know, I'm a planner. So we think ahead and we try to figure out like where we want to be, why do we want to be there? Um, and it's really, it's, I guess it's a good thing since I'm a chief strategy officer that I kind of think ahead, right? I mean, <laughs> right. kind of like yeah. maybe that makes sense a little bit. Yeah. And we decided that we wanted to be more in control of where we retired and we wanted to have a spot where we thought our children would be able to come and be a part of, which actually happened. So we chose, um, South Carolina as one of our target places to retire. And it had to be on the East Coast because at the time my parents were living, we had to be within a one-day drive or at least a, a quick trip. And uh, we wanted someplace where it was warm because we knew that as we aged, it would really be helpful. It didn't have to be full hot, but just had to have some warmth uh, in doing that. And we also felt it had to be a destination location just in case our adult children didn't move with us. Except they did. <laughs> yes. And so to when the point, was this? When, oh, okay. So in 2005 yeah. is when we relocated to Charleston. And so now we'll get to the hallway story. Yes. So are you ready for the hallway I'm story? I'm ready. Okay. So during a time after uh, our adult children moved down, my son and his wife separated and he gained custody of his children. So we had to create now a community opportunity for him to be with us. My mom had Parkinson's and dementia, and my dad had macular degeneration, and they were unable to take care of themselves still in West Virginia. If we had not been someplace warm and someplace that would have really contributed to their health and well-being, they would never have moved. And my mom and dad enjoyed five additional years of life as a result of moving in with us, because the real victor in that was my wife, Vicki, who took care of them like they were her own. And it was just an amazing opportunity. So... In this situation, for five years, we had four generations all living together under the same roof. And one of my friends asked me one day, he said, Troy, with all of the commotion that's going on in your in your house, what space do you call your own? Well, I'd been married a little over 30 years at the time. And I said, well, I can't claim the closet nor the bathroom. <laughs> so I'm going to claim the hallway. And he started laughing. He goes, that's really funny. And I said, okay, uh, because why? And he said, well, your last name is Hall. It's Hallway. How cool is that? <laughs> and I was like, yeah. And it became Life in the Hallway. And so I have been capturing a series of stories someday to release about Life in the Hallway, which is the experiences of four generations living together more so because they wanted to and because there was a need, but they really, we enjoyed it. And so it was a great opportunity to do that. I can't wait for the book. Well, I was like, we could have I a whole know. show on that segment exactly. probably, right? I know. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, I it, was, know. it was really a great experience of doing it. And there's lots of good business reasons doing it. And so what I talk about from the hallway from a leadership perspective is that the hallway is your opportunity to lead from transition. As leaders, we're called every single day to lead, and we don't always get to lead behind a desk or in a boardroom. And our ability to really make change in this world is more from our power to influence people from a personal perspective that inspires them to do something because they want to do it, not because I was in charge and told them they had to do it. You get more out of individuals working together, doing more together when they believe that it's the right thing to do, when it becomes a belief system and not just a program that you're putting in place. So I'm excited. Unfortunately, we're about to run out of time, but next week to get to the global global leadership experience and what you're doing with mm-hmm. that. But before we do, you know, Leslie brought up the point earlier about sometimes these lessons that we've learned through life. 
But also through life, there's people we can point to that have guided us. They've mentored us. They've helped us get to where we are. If you look back over your journey, Dr. Troy, who would you point your finger to as a couple of folks that were highly instrumental in that process for you? So first of all, just going back, acknowledge my mom and dad. So I had a great relationship with my dad, too, even though I tell you more of my mom's stories, and that's because of that situation. But great relationship with my dad. Um, another gentleman has since passed away, but his name was Jack Williams. And Jack was extremely inf- uh, influential in my life to really help guide me and point me in the right direction. Jack would always remind me that I didn't have to do it all by myself that it was important to make sure that you use the talents and the people who are around you to um, to accomplish what you want to do and think about it as in a corporate um, opportunity or a community goal that you wanted to accomplish and not just about you personally. So I think that's kind of like for me. I sort of think about things I want to do, but I think about how it w- how in what I do, how does it impact somebody else? And so I focus on the somebody else part and – Usually, then it it get it it works. So, I can't wait next week. And, and I'm going to ask this real quick yes. too, in terms of where you are today. You know, talking about kind of coming through life. These are mentors, but um, what about um, maybe groups or areas that you turn to now for counsel? Well, I work with a, a number of individual mentoring groups, some of which I've really had the opportunity to help put together. So um, within the credit union movement specifically, we work with a, a group of young professionals called CU Aware. And I receive so much value out of working with those individuals because they stimulate your thought process. They have You have to stay top of mind, top of toes. Um, I work with the College of Charleston. I do a mentoring program there. Uh, so I work with that group. And I think my my group is really focusing on people who want to accomplish and do things. And so that's kind of where I go. And well, we there. know that's going to lead a lot more. Look forward to having you back next Saturday to hear the rest of that story. Thank you, Dr. Troy Hall, again, Chief Strategy Officer for South Carolina Federal for the early part of the story today. Yeah, thank you very much. And, folks, thank you for tuning in the dial again to 94.3 or listen to us simulcast on iHeartRadio for another edition of Beyond the Business. Join us every Saturday morning from 9 to 9.30 for more great stories of entrepreneurship and leadership from here in the Lowcountry. And until next Saturday morning, Lowcountry, have a blessed week. Thank you for listening to Beyond the Business on News Radio 94.3 WSC. Tune in next Saturday morning at 9 o'clock for Beyond the Business, hosted by Eric Cox and Leslie Haywood and heard exclusively on News Radio 94.3 WSC.